candy girl. <laughs> and you got me. <laughs> Sugar. Aw, oh, honey, honey. You are my candy girl. <laughs> and you got me rocking you. I'm Elena. I'm Grant. And this is Sex Archie. Whether you like it or not. So take that. That's right. We're a Riverdale recap podcast, and we are here not talking about an episode. We're kind of talking about an episode eventually. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Riverdale does not return until Wednesday, the 8th of April, uh, with the episode Wicked Little Town, the annual musical. Yep. This year's episode taking its music from Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yes. So t- Which is the most exciting and thrilling and scary, terrifying thing ever. <laughs> so we have been sitting on this knowledge and, and letting our opinions percolate since January 28th when that announcement was made. I've just gotten more worried the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I went from being really excited to now just being fucking terrified. <laughs> what? Before we go on, uh-huh. why is that? Let, let the people in on your fears. Because I love Hedwig, and I am absolutely terrified of them murdering it. <laughs> and basically, I only trust Casey Cott mm-hmm. with half the songs. <laughs> now, what, what you mean by that is you would trust Casey Cott with any of these songs. Yes. And only Casey Cott with half of the songs. The the other ones, no one else is allowed to touch for you. Basically, yeah. Not not with your... I'm very worried about other people touching certain songs. (laughs) I just... Don't don't forget (sighs) Ethel. Ethel's a really good singer. Ugh, no. No? No. Okay. Not not really doing it for me. (laughs) I I have fears. I have worries. Mm Mm-hmm. But before we catch all the way up to the present, or I suppose the near future of April 8th, mm-hmm. let's talk a bit about uh, uh, Hedwig, the character, the, the, the show, the brand, and its inception starting in 1994. Yes. Uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, uh, the, the show, is the, the work of two men who met on an airplane one day. Yes. And and starting started chatting. But the Hedwig character herself is uh, closer to the sole domain of one of them, John Cameron Mitchell. Yes. Whereas music and lyrics are all, or very nearly all, uh, the other Stephen Trask. Yes. Mm-hmm. A whole lot of the other stuff is, you know, hand-in-hand collaborative. But those two are pretty well siloed off. Yeah. Yeah. John Cameron Mitchell created the character of Hedwig mm-hmm. for... Uh, a drag show. Yes. In New York um, at a place called Smashbox. Squeezebox. Squeezebox. Place called Squeezebox. Mm hmm. Smashbox is makeup. <laughs> <laughs> it's appropriate. Mm hmm. One of the reasons he got that space to, to workshop this character to develop this performance piece that he wasn't sure what it was going to be is because the musical director of Squeezebox was Stephen Trask. Yep. So there you go. <laughs> yep. Stephen was from kind of the creation of Hedwig. Starting to write original songs for the character. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to mix in with the more general karaoke, play the hits. Well, Squeezebox that... was not a karaoke joint. It was right. live band with drag performers actually singing. Which is rare. Which is very rare. Especially in 1994. Um, so they were, they were 
live band karaoke, I guess. <laughs> and and not even uh, and not just you know your your drag show standards, your your yeah. Madonnas and your Lizas. Much more rock but and a punk. rock club and a punk club. Yes, yeah. you you have this uh, uh, sort of crossroads, fairly successful Broadway performer. Mm-hmm. Uh, going uh, as a semi-outsider to, to this underground rock club where uh, you, you have the local performers not being sure, like, are, are you just using our scene uh, to develop your thing and you're going to fly away? Uh, but then eventually, as, you know, the performances were more regular, he became uh, closer to the community while from his eyes he's looking at these uh, uh performers learning finding their own voices and coming out from behind uh uh you know the the shield of lip sync yeah. in order to develop and and grow and and find new things to do with their acts and it was a very interesting scene from the way they tell the story yes so through through the time there mm-hmm Basically, the complete story of Hedwig that we we know mm-hmm. developed on that stage. And not only developed on that stage, but so much of even individual lines that have continued oh my gosh. through yes. the, the off-Broadway show, through the film, all the way to today, were in the very first 1994 performance. Yes. <laughs> it's they, uncanny. It, it is insane how much word for word <laughs> was created mm-hmm. for Squeezebox. From the start and then through the time. Um, so that way, when it did become an... They, they mounted a off-Broadway production. Beginning in 1998. It was all pieces that had been created and like basically put together. Yeah, yeah. The, this sort of collage slash jigsaw puzzle of, of all, all these bits and pieces yeah. and turning it into you know, a collection of sketches and, and stand-up beats into a show. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that's most interesting is that... When they were approaching the story, mm-hmm. Hedwig was a side character yes, of a story yes. concept they were creating. This this fantastic character we have, but the story's about the other one. Yes. Yeah. Do we need like I, I feel like do we need to recap what the story sure, is? Sure. Let's get into the story. Uh, Just like a quick like <laughs> this is it. Uh, the the stage version of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Uh, is, you know, you buy your ticket to this underground show from this uh, internationally ignored, you know, musical visionary, Hedwig, and her band, The Angry Inch. Yes. You you come in, and the whole show is her gig and the, the dialogue, well, honestly, monologue that yeah. runs through the whole thing is her stage banter. The only characters are her and the interaction she has with her band most of whom are silent. Yes. But the story she tells through this stage banter, through the these uh, jokes, and uh, to a great deal through the songs, the songs are the most traditional musical part about it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an opening and an I want, and you, you build through the events because the songs are all very autobiographical and, and a, a big cathartic conclusion at the end. Even if the frame is not a very traditional musical, the the soundtrack is. Yes. Uh, but the story that is told is uh, about her being born as, quote, a slip of a girly boy in East Berlin, mm-hmm. born the same year the Berlin Wall went up, falling in love with uh, an American GI as as they, you know, yearned for freedom of, of the West. Yes. The, the GI proposing, basically saying, I can take you away from this. Mm-hmm. 
but you gotta have a sex change. Yeah, one one little bit of business first for the paperwork, and and they they go along with it. Wouldn't you know it? The operation doesn't go very well, and Hedwig is left with the titular angry inch. Yes. Yes. Hedwig uh, ends up moving to the U.S., mm-hmm. where a seizing year... her her mother's name and and passport. They... Yes, no longer Hansel. <laughs> yes, and is abandoned in a trailer park within a year. Mm-hmm. On the same day that uh, she's watching the news and sees the wall come down, all these reports of people just walking through checkpoints. Yep. Yeah. So then she's alone and abandoned and returns to her first real love, uh, music, particularly American music. Yes. And starts uh, supporting herself with odd jobs around town and also gigs in, in local restaurants and nail salons with a bunch of the army wives and divorced army wives. Yes. Uh, at both one of these gigs and one of her, you know, babysitting jobs, she meets uh, uh, Tommy Speck. Yes. Yes. Tommy Speck, the the elder brother of, you know, who she's babysitting. Yeah, he's like 17. Yeah, yeah. He's 14 in some versions of the stage script, but that got changed. Yeah, let's go with 17. That is creepy. He's 17 in the movie. Uh, The the two of them start a a musical mentorship and exchange thing that eventually turns romantic, and he becomes... Uh, uh, the uh, nascent rock star Tommy Gnosis. Yes. Kind of the name and identity that Hedwig created for him. Yes. Uh, which then follows with him stealing all of her songs. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> he gets discovered. He goes on to be an international superstar with an album full of music they wrote collaboratively at best. She wrote it. She wrote it. Uh- <laughs> So by the time we get to the point where you are attending the show, mm-hmm. you know, the, the point in Hedwig's life where she's at whatever theater you're seeing it at. Yeah. That is all in the past. And now she is on tour, sort of stalking his tour, playing, you know, rundown houses down the street from his huge arenas. Yes. And and there's been big uh, tabloid news with, you know, the two of them getting caught in a compromising position uh, in an auto accident, uh, yes. uh, sharing a limo together. Yes. Yeah. It's like several years have gone by, too, yes. with yes. where we are now. Yes. So that is that is where we are. He- you, as the audience, are hearing all of these tales. Mm-hmm. Along with a lot of, like, broad... Uh, a stand-up club style. Yes. There's honestly a borscht belt uh, quality to the humor in yeah. Hedwig. Yeah. Uh, but by the end of it, uh, there there is this uh, sort of climactic, cathartic moment where Hedwig realizes a, a path out of the the terrible person that she is, but you still feel for her because she's somehow... A better person than you'd expect with all the trauma she's received from her her mother and her ex-husband and the world at large. Yes. But she 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 reaches sort of an epiphany about how the um philosophy that has that, that has helped her survive up to this point is also the thing that is holding her back from, you know, progressing even further beyond. Yes. But we'll talk more about that when we talk about individual songs. I just yeah. really love the show. Yeah. I love the show a lot. It's so good. <laughs> uh, so, so with knowing that content of like what the show is, when they were originally developing it, mm-hmm. Tommy Gnosis was supposed to be the focus. It was yes. supposed to be about this rocker, and Hedwig was supposed to be this 
person that was in a band with him mm-hmm. that's now all washed up and left behind. I would love to see the the like fairy godmother Hedwig treatment, <laughs> right? The 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 side cool version. Yeah, pretty early on it shifted mm-hmm. with that focus. So by the time you know they got to off Broadway. Mm-hmm. It had completely changed. <laughs> and, and we say off-Broadway, but let's take a, let's, let's, let's talk, talk about the specific theater they were in so that you, wasn't a theater before they were in yeah. it. Yeah. So, so when you think of off-Broadway, you think like around the corner in a really nice theater with yeah, like that just a happens to have less than five hundred seats. I think that's the line that the Broadway League dra- draws. Something like that. Sure. Yeah. No. So this 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 <laughs> no. was the ballroom. Of a really old hotel where the surviving crew members of the Titanic stayed. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the meatpacking district. Yes. Primarily filled with drug, drug addicts, backpackers, people down on their luck, a lot, prostitutes. A lot of sex workers turning tricks in the Riverview. Yeah. Uh, a lot of different stuff. Like, the, the ballroom was not a theater space. Part of their budget went to turning it into one, moving yeah. seats in. Like, they went and asked, like, hey, we heard you have a theater. And they're like, what, the ballroom that <laughs> we haven't used in years? Yeah. Yeah. So that's where they ended up making their, th- like, stage. This, like- and then their dressing room was, like, six floors up. In this building with only one elevator. That you could only use if the elevator operator was working it. Yes. And stories of like the coroner wheeling out a a body bag in the one elevator right through the lobby where everybody's waiting to go in and take their seats. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was a shit show of a hotel. Yes. Definitely not what you think. It's what you think of when you think of off, 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 off Broadway. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that you would think... Chicago Storefront Theater. I w- That's what you think. No, It's the sort of thing that you would think was made up for a joke for Hedwig. Yes, <laughs> but very much Chicago Storefront Theater in some cases. Because <laughs> in Chicago Storefront Theater, you got the places that are really freaking nice, and then you got the places where you have to climb up four flights of stairs, and it's down a hallway... In some back corner with no windows. <laughs> or if it had windows, they just painted them black. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you need to use the bathroom, you have to go like down two flights mm-hmm. and get a key. <laughs> Keeping it real, folks. Yep. Please understand that actors right now are not being paid anything. Because <laughs> they never were getting paid anyways. That's true. At least they have more time to, to uh, work their monologues and do punctuation walks. I make fun of them. And punctuation walks, I they're wonderful. I love punctuation walks, and you know I do. They're the best thing. Go look up punctuation walks, people. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's so good for anything. But yeah, so that is where they started their off-Broadway run. Mm-hmm. Which went for years. Went for years. And like seven Hedwigs. Yes, it was a bit of a struggle to get going first. Yes. They they would, like, fill the houses on press nights, mm-hmm. and then there'd and be, be no one there. And the next day, yeah. And so you would hear stories, which are true, of people like Lou Reed showing up, uh, uh, Stephen Stan- Sondheim showing up, Bowie came and saw it. But that doesn't mean they were making money. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean they were breaking even some weeks. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, from from there, the the next step was just developing this really rabid fan base yes. of people who uh, th- this cross section of, of rock fans and uh, deep drag character you know aficionados <laughs> and the the a certain segment of the theater audience that just liked the the independent cutting edge stuff yes and then that just became the the downtown hipster audience who just wanted to have a fun time in the meatpacking district yeah yeah like, and then you know you just take the elevator up and you can have a different fun time in the meatpacking district yeah it's all on your definition <laughs> of meatpacking Sure, why not? But the the next step is that, you know, one of those, you know, lucky nights uh, with a, a Fuller House, there was a, a executive from New Line Cinemas in the audience. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, we could we could make this happen. Let's, let's do a thing. This could be a movie. This could be a movie. I don't know how, but that's their job. My job is just to give them money. Yeah. Uh, so then that part started. Yes. Um, Which... Led, of course, to backing and um, them basically saying we will do this as long as you, the original Hedwig, are in it. Yes. And then he also agreed to direct. Yes. Because uh, part of the story is, you know, uh, he did a, a directing test at like the Sundance Directing Labs. They, they did one scene twice, once with him directing, once with another director, and he was just so bored only acting, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> so that's not enough. Yeah. <laughs> so they went through, yet again, a totally shoestring budget, people bringing in stuff from home, stuff being done at the last minute. There's There's one scene with a big, like swinging spotlight around that's just a bunch of uh, uh, cds taped to a poster board in front of the, yes. the spotlight so like, many things from the filming of this movie was we took a xerox and held it up yeah <laughs> that's uh, that's the berlin wall it's a xerox that is one way to do a mat shot you yeah know? <laughs> yep Oh boy, oh boy! Yeah. But it it held together. It worked. It won um, the audience prize and also the drama prize at Sundance. Yep. Then it released in the fall of two thousand one. Yep. <laughs> and met a cult audience, but no money. <laughs> yeah. It made back half its budget. Oh. Yeah. It didn't have much of one to begin with. It's okay. New Line was also betting on Lord of the Rings at the they time. They were fine. So they were fine. They could put their money elsewhere and be okay. Until that money also disappeared, but New Line Cinemas is a different topic entirely. Yes. And since then, there's been many, many different revivals yeah and tours Tour- and productions uh shows all over regional theaters local theaters world theaters ev- every stage great and small there's apparently been a, a 15 year or so long uh, south korean production yeah and one thing that uh the, the creators uh raises a possibility why it has such long legs you know 15 years on the same stage in south korea is because it is the only place still cut in two by the cold war yeah and that aspect of hedwig's story and history really resonates there which yeah that sounds plausible to me why not yeah uh but i guess the next big big thing since uh the film uh the the relatively recent uh, uh broadway production 
Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, the yes, the Neil Patrick Harris production. It was probably like 20, 2014. It was twenty fourteen, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of um I don't want to say introducing a new generation because it was always there and like mm-hmm. but definitely a more mainstream gener like generational introduction. Yeah, I mean it's the first thing that made it mainstream. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure the- It had a cult following. Oh, absolutely. But cults aren't mainstream or they'd be religions. Yes. <laughs> I wanna like slap you for that, but yes. <laughs> I feel like we're being too educational. This feels more like a History Honeys than a Sex Archie so far. Well, I'm worried that people out there don't know about it. That's true. That's true. So they won't know what we're talking about. While uh, uh, the Broadway show that that launched the Broadway tour was, at least in the U.S. context, the first commercially successful version mm-hmm. of of Hedwig and her story. Yeah. Uh, it was, yes, beloved by so, so many people. If all the people that said they saw and loved it back uh, in that off-Broadway hole were telling the truth, it would have been a hit back then. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that led, though, to a U.S. tour, mm-hmm. which we did go see. Yeah, we did. It was we fun. We went for my birthday mm-hmm. and other things since then. We also, re- um, last year, saw John Cameron Mitchell... Um, own touring show yeah it was which a, is a basically hedwig speaking and speaking slash singing tour and wouldn't you know it there's a lot of hedwig songs it's, in his line yeah that's not that's not what it's marketed as but it's definitely what it is and it was great he did about half the soundtrack along with numbers from plenty of other things like two-thirds like two-thirds, like of two-thirds. The soundtrack. that's true it's a long one-act show so yeah yeah so that's kind of everything you need to know about the general mm-hmm. i think story mm-hmm. I feel like we've gotten people on board. Yeah. With the underground cred it has, with the long-running history it has, and with the the very, you know, bold, brash, queer aesthetic that it has, it's no surprise that it is a, a, a favorite of Roberto Aguirre Sacasa mm-hmm. and uh, many people involved with the production of Riverdale. Uh, either It was either Stephen Trask or, or John Cameron mm-hmm. Mitchell that really loves the show Riverdale. <laughs> I th- I'm not sure which one, but I know John Cameron Mitchell like totally Instagrammed about it as soon as it was announced. Because <laughs> I follow him. At least one of them is a big fan of Riverdale. Yeah. yeah. So it shouldn't be too much of a surprise, except for the question of, you know, network broadcast standards that... Uh, There's a lot of things they can't say or do. <laughs> But, I mean, that was true of the original Broadway version of Heathers, too, and so they, they didn't... It's true. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> um, Hedwig is something we actually, like, when we were talking about, like, what musicals could Riverdale do yes. in the future? Mm-hmm. This is one that came up. Mm-hmm. We both were like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Don't know how they do it, but they could. <laughs> And then when they announced it, we were kind of like, how are they doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're going to talk about the, the frame of this story later. Yes. And that gives me a lot of confidence. I think that's a great idea. Yes. But my big question, uh, which I think is the same as yours that we've already talked about, is previous episodes have shown that not all of these uh, uh, actors have the, the sort of vocal quality nope. that you would want for 
not just a musical, but a rock musical. I'm thinking about the recent uh, uh, Cherry Bomb oh, performance. Oh, it was awful. Mmm. Mmm. I mean, I'll, I'll say going into this, the thing I, I said uh, going into Heather's last year, I believe they can do it if they have the time and the resources set aside, which I think is part of why uh, uh, the Carrie the Musical uh, uh, episode had such variance between... Yeah song to song even with the same actor performing yeah uh so i'm just hoping hoping they they have a lot of time a lot of rehearsal uh, a lot of studio time i'm i'm also just a little worried about like character choices of who's singing what right in addition to like quality Mm -hmm. there are just like even if this person could sing this there's certain apprehensions i have to allowing certain characters to sing certain songs and part of that is because this episode is landing at a particular time in the season that on the one hand is very advantageous to take a step away from long-running plots because there's not a lot going on. A lot of arcs have closed. A lot of character beats have been put to rest. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, now it's perfectly time to do something different. But on the other hand, you're doing all these very emotional songs about mostly about a person's inner conflict and turmoil. Yeah. When not a lot of characters have that much inner conflict and turmoil right now. Yeah. <laughs> At least compared to the, the average week. Yes. And I also just worried about them putting their characters' emotional turmoil on some of these songs. <laughs> Do you want to start talking about the songs Let's then? Start Let's about talk songs. about those songs. All right. We're going to go in show order. So the, the big introductory song is called Tear Me Down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it kicks off the gig and it is exactly the sort of song that you want to be first at a rock show. Yes. That, that is the mood. That is the vibe. Um, and it is a song that introduces you to the character of Hedwig mm-hmm. and, and who she is. Who she is and, and how she is built upon or rather between binaries and divides. There ain't much difference between a bridge and a wall. Yeah. One of the, the classic lines from this. Uh, you know, I was born on the other side of a town ripped in two. If we laid out every uh, uh, example of the motif of Hedwig as either transgressing or being torn between two things or being shown as a synthesis of two things, we would be here all night. It's the whole deal. Yeah. Uh, but that's what this song is about. I love it. Gets stuck in my head all the time. It's so good. Especially in the last few months when I've been thinking about the show more. Enemies and adversaries. They try to tear me down. Yes. <laughs> Who would you like them to give this song to? What place in Riverdale do you think this song could have? <sighs> Any basically of the higher beat songs yeah. will not be Kevin's. No. Because they have to save him for the emotional ones. They have to save him for the closer. If they don't have him do the the final song of the show, even if it's not necessarily the final song of the Riverdale episode, even though I'm sure it will be, I I will eat my hat. Uh Uh-huh. I I will, yeah. What are you you thinking? What are your thoughts? I don't want to play this card too early because it's another one that I think could go with any upbeat song, but we know the Archies will be doing their first performance. And I think this is a real contender. I'm holding out for them to do another song, though they could have them do multiples. Yes. This is definitely a contender, though I'm leaning towards the other one a bit more. This could be a Cheryl song. Cheryl's all about, come on and try to tear me down, fuck off. That's a very Cheryl Blossom sentiment. This is true. Uh, or it could be a Cheryl-Tony duet. Yeah. 
can we get FP to sing a song? And can this be his as he's like, I'm a serpent. I'm not going to be like a cop anymore. <laughs> Fuck you, Hiram. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That'd be cool. I'd be down with that. The Archies are like playing this in the garage. Yes. But it's FP but it's jamming FP like it. through, like as he's like, you know, gathering the serpents back together. He was a member of the Fredheads. He's got the soul of a musician. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Skeet Ulrich seems like a guy who was in a band. It's because he looks like Johnny it's Depp. It's because he looks like Johnny Depp. <laughs> and Johnny Depp was. Especially, yeah, in the age when Johnny Depp was in a band. They that's look the, identical. That's when the two of them looked the most alike. It was weird. So next we have Origin of Love. This is one of your favorites. This is oh. one of everybody's favorites. One of my absolute favorites. Like, one of my favorite songs ever. Mm-hmm. Um... My three favorite songs, well, I have like four favorite songs. I, I love all the songs, but like four favorites. Origin of Love is one that I'm like, is basically one of the three that I'm like, Kevin. Mm-hmm. I want Kevin to sing it. You just want Kevin to be Hedwig. I do! Because it, do- it doesn't work for most anyone else. Okay, like, I know one of the big things with actually this from the creators is they're like, Hedwig can be played by anyone. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, you put on the wig, you are Hedwig. Yes. Like. It it is a show about defining yourself. It's a show about wrapping yourself in a mask that that allows you to be even truer than you were before. And then eventually shedding it and coming out as as an even more transcendent version of yourself. Yes. I, I'm totally about that. I'm totally like, yes, that's great. <laughs> I don't want all of you to do it in this, though. <laughs> what I do think this song will be is I think this song will probably end up being a montage of a lot of different people. That makes sense. I think this will be one of those, like, we're over here with Bughead. We're over here with, you know, Varchie. Here's an idea for this song. Do you think this song is going to be... Uh, it's it's going to start as, like, Betty and Jughead and become Betty and Archie. Fuck that shit. No. Let, let's talk about what the song is about. This song is a musical retelling of, you know, the origin of love as, as conceived by Aristophanes in Plato's Symposium. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story that the, the, the human race as originally formed by the gods were these uh, eight-limbed, two-headed creatures... Uh, and then eventually the, the gods split us all in two, and that is why we're constantly looking for our, our other halves. That is what love is, to reunite with you, your the lost part of you. Yes. Uh, and so this is something that Hedwig takes to heart very dearly from childhood, and it leads her to some, you know, destructive impulses as people that she does love leave her and she's left feeling like less of herself when that's simply not the case yes yeah i can definitely see them doing they could do it that way would i like it no yeah i just had a really funny idea that does not fit with like the feel of this song at all Mm -hmm. but so in the telling they use like animation Yes. Like in the movie, they have a whole animated sequence. Mm-hmm. In the stage production, there's a lot of imagery. Yes. That's used. Because uh, where that came from in the production history of the show is that they started in an underground rock club. They, they started in a 
ballroom barely converted into a theater. And this is a song where the lyrics are very, very important to getting across what's going on in this person's perspective and personal philosophy. So they needed visual aids. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I, what I love is actually in an interview with the um, animator for the movie, um, she spoke about how when the words are so important, it's you have to have something where you don't focus on what the words are. Mm-hmm. You're distracted by this imagery and watching it that the words can just happen. Yeah. And you just understand. And also the way she animated it so simply. Yes. Very, it's very, very hand drawn, like, uh, like angular. PBS education yes. animation. Yes. So. Um, and so, so much of the stimulus is just coming from the lyrics, whereas even if it was, you know, filmed straight on, you're going to be looking at the actor's face. You're going to be seeing the sequence. You're yeah. going to be distracted by the set or whatever. So her, the style is very, um, it's very like 90s Sesame Street mm-hmm. short. For sure, for sure. Very stylized, simple, kind of weird. This is when they introduce a new drug to Riverdale, and they're all high as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I get. Okay, I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> I told you it doesn't fit with the song, but it, like, fits. So, like, my idea, though, is that they're all high as fuck singing this song, but it's all animated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure, why like, not? Like, stick figure go, go, characters. Uh, go 22 Jump Street with it, even. Yes. Why not? Yes. While we're talking about Skeet Ulrich's body double. Uh, (laughs) It's all connected. Now, the next on the uh, soundtrack is something that confuses a lot of people because it's a song that only exists on the soundtrack. Yes. Random Number Generation. Yes. They never really talk about this song because, like I said, it's not part of the show. Yeah. Uh, One story that I heard that sounds likely enough is that it was originally written to cover a, a costume change for Hedwig. That then just didn't get put in the show, so they took the song out. Yeah. Uh, it is sung by uh, Hedwig's husband, Itzhak, who is uh, her, her also her head backup singer in the yeah. band. Uh, Itzhak is probably the person Hedwig treats uh, worst in the world. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's bad. It's like... It's very awful. Again, it's something I really love about the character, someone you you really empathize with and care for and want to see succeed, even though all night you're watching her just be awful to people. Yes. Well, and part of the transformation of becoming, like, a better person and letting go of things is treating Itzhak correctly and better. He's the first person she makes amends to. It's, like, the first thing she does. Yes. Thank you. And it acknowledges (laughs) and... and Mm -hmm. Like, let's go, basically. But uh, Itzhak is, in most cases, traditionally played by a woman mm-hmm. who is playing a man who is a former drag queen himself. Yes. Yes. And who <laughs> and wants who, to be. But has been forbidden from, from uh, uh, you know, the art that he loves uh, as a condition of uh, Hedwig's relationship. Yes. She she forbids it because she will not allow anyone to, to take any portion of her spotlight yes that is a subplot that is almost entirely cut from the movie uh, 
There's a lot. You can piece it together. There, there are some deleted scenes that yes. would have made it much more clear, but you can definitely piece it together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's not as cut as uh, the tour manager having a cell phone built into her skull. The weirdest, most amazing thing ever that I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> First off, did you ever think of that? And why was it all cut? <laughs> all of it. <laughs> My favorite thing Okay, there's a cut scene where, like, she gets hit with um, the door of a dryer. At the laundromat, Her phone just keeps, like, dial-toning in her head. And she's, like, trying to rub her teeth to turn it off and, like, hitting her head. Like, no, it won't stop. It won't stop. Her her teeth are the buttons. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. She dials her phone with her tongue on her teeth because the cell phone is built into her skull. It's so good and (laughs) weird. But uh, do you think random ge- number generation will finally have its place no. in the sun in the Riverdale episode? No, I don't. This will n- never be seen. I, I agree. Uh, it has been performed in some, like, promotional things. Just when, you know, they want to do not Hedwig the show, but, like, Hedwig a concert. Yeah. Sometimes they'll throw that in. Uh, but no, I don't, I don't think no. it's going to be part of Riverdale either. And that brings us to Sugar Daddy. This is the song that I think the Archies will do. Really? Yes. Mm, Okay. Uh, Sugar Daddy is uh, in the drama, in the story. This is when we start going through uh, Hedwig's life. This is the point where uh, she is found by Luther, uh, the American GI that, that, you know, sees her over the wall and is like, I want a piece of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and she first experiences power through being showered in gifts at, you know, literal candy at first in their first meeting. Uh, and like, hell yeah, I'm, I'm addicted to, to, uh, using what, uh, power, you know, God gave me, uh, to, to get what I want. And what I want is freedom and, uh, sweets that are colorful and have actual real sugar in them. (laughs) Here's why I think that the Archies will do it. Yeah. Is because it has the feel of the aesthetic of the Archies. (laughs) Yeah. We've seen a a screen grab from the show. Yes. That's there. Like, I feel like this is the one that, like, feels the most, like, classic Archie comics Mm -hmm. the Archies would do. Because it's, like, cheery and fun. It is. It is. Uh, It's also the song with, the I think, the biggest difference in orchestration between Off-Broadway and the the Broadway revival. Mm Mm-hmm. Because in the original version, which is, you know, the, the uh, original cast recording, the film, the film soundtrack, it's got a country and western twang. It's mm-hmm. got, you know, steel string guitars noodling around, whereas it's a very energetic, electric, guitar-driven song in uh, the, the Broadway version. It, it has very different mood between the two. I just thought of something! Yes. Okay. What if... What if... This is chick song to Charles. Because Charles is his sugar daddy. Because he's in jail and Charles brings him everything. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then Evelyn's in the background too and joins in because she had a call with family at the same time because they're in the same jail. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, my God. I had another idea that I I'm going that to immediately song. shoot down as soon as I say it, but I want to say it anyway. What if Veronica is just trying to uh, squeeze some stuff out of her dad in I, that back and forth, flip a coin, how do I feel this week thing? Oh, I totally thought of that. And I'm like, that's creepy as fuck. Yes, Better not be. I was going, 
when when I said I was going to immediately shoot it down, it's a very sexual song. I also thought it could be <laughs> uncomfortably the, horny. A song that Veronica and Hermosa sing to him, trying yeah, to. Like, but yeah. I'm like, no, mm, that's fucked up. When you think about what the meaning of this song it's a is, real, real horny song got me dripping like a honeycomb. Like, mmm, mmm. It could be a Cheryl Tony song. Yeah, but they're but their own sugar daddy. They run their business. I would much rather it be a Chick Charles Evelyn in the background song. It'd be so good. <laughs> That'd be the most Riverdale thing. This is so, feeling more like our show now. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. Now, now it is. So the, the next song is when, well, things change for Hedwig, when she becomes... Hedwig, it is the, the titular song, Angry Inch. Mm-hmm. This is her autobiographical song about her her uh, botched gender reassignment surgery uh, with some just angry song. This is a thrashing song. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, if you, they're not doing strobe lights, they're not doing it right song. Yeah. Yeah. My thought, I have two thoughts. They either just won't do it, mm-hmm. or it will be a song that is done to Principal Honey as, like, a fuck you. Yeah, yeah. It's very confrontational. I, I think it, I mean, yeah, obviously. It, could, I, it could be a Kevin thing, but I think it would be, like, a student body thing to him. Because mm. we know that there's a, an image that has been released, spoilers, of everyone <laughs> dressed as Hedwig. Yes. I feel like this could be a moment where they're all, like, fuck you, we're doing this. Including Fangs and Sweet Pea, which is like, yes. <laughs> My favorite, though, is Reggie, because Reggie's, like, gigantic <laughs> in his cut. Like, he's a much, like, smaller Reggie compared to first season Reggie. Mm-hmm. But he looks huge. I think yeah. it's just, like, his broadness really shows up. Even though, like, like Sweet Pea is gigantic. So, so yeah, John Cameron Mitchell, who, ori- who created, not just originated, but, like, fucking wrote the role of Hedwig. Yeah. Uh, is a very slim guy. Yes. Like, darling, you've been confused about the definition of a twink. You don't have to be anymore. It's him. Yeah, I know, no. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, again, watching something, like, behind-the-scenes thing, when they're mm-hmm. like, he has, you know, the ideal feminine body type that's unrealistic to all women, and I'm like, yep. <laughs> very jealous of his lack of hips. That That is a quote from the uh, uh, costume designer on the film from uh, one of the Criterion documentaries. Yes. She went on to be like, you know, like, supermodels and everything that is put in print and thrown against yeah. her eyes and da 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 And I'm just like, yeah, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> but my point is, he was replaced, the second off-Broadway yeah. Hedwig was Michael Cerverus. Yes. Who was built like a fucking truck. <laughs> You don't even realize it until they are next to each other or you see them in the same style costume mm-hmm. and you're like, Or, or the wow. final number when the costume comes off and they're topless. And it's just like so broad. Yes, he's so broad. Such a broad chested man. <laughs> and you're just so, like, dang, so that's, John Cameron Mitchell, you're so tiny. So that's what Reggie is sort of bringing to the table. Yes, that is exactly it. It's just this like wideness of... Like, but shoulders. Again, we've said it before. Kevin's arms are yoked. If Kevin doesn't finally get a fucking shirtless scene in this freaking show, I am done. Because they never let that boy go shirtless. And he is so fucking ripped. And this is the time because that last song in the show, he's basically naked. And Kevin better be. 
<laughs> You're right. Yeah, we found our home. We found our center. <laughs> Does it feel like our show now? <laughs> this particular one, yes. But but back to the original point. Yeah, there there is a certain chance that Angry Inch gets cut, much like all of uh, Act Two of Heather's, for just being too plot related. Yeah. Yeah. The entire thing talks about the sex operation. Yeah. I mean, that's not something they're going to work into a character on the show unless that's I, actually happening. It would be coming out of left field. They have so laid no groundwork for the that. The only way they could do it is specifically if it's like a, them as a big f- demonstration yes. of fuck you. It could also be used as like Kevin, like Kevin could be rehearsing this number because this mm, was going to be his original mm-hmm, number, mm-hmm. but then he does a different one. That brings us to Wig in a Box, which is, in a sense, the, the birth of Hedwig, the persona, the personality, the, yes. the entity. I love this song. Uh, Angry Inch is when uh, uh, the, the world tries to make Hedwig. Uh, Wig in a Box is when Hedwig begins to make herself. Yes. Yes. This <laughs> song is so good. This song is also, like, aside from the very like emotional songs mm-hmm. that I love, this is the most fun song <laughs> in both the movie and the stage production. They do include a follow the bouncing ball sing-along And bit. if they do not fucking do that scene in this show, <laughs> I am also done. This is our make it or break it with Riverdale. On April 8th, would you rather just watch the movie again <laughs> and just sort of guess what Riverdale but, did? Like, come on. They have to. They do. They have to do it. I, I would like them to do it. I just don't see how it's mandatory. It's so iconic. I, I suppose it is. It it's is. like the blood on Carrie. I mean, I would say the wig is like the blood on Carrie, but okay. But it, <laughs> do it. I don't, do you have thoughts about what they'll do with this? Well, what one bit of trivia I wanted to drop is that the karaoke sing-along at home uh, shot that we just yeah. mentioned was the final yeah. shot of the film and like, a, they, like they were doing like hour yeah. day so you two of the the uh band members are just lip-syncing because if they try to vocal vocalize they know they will break they, they know they'll just get a fit of the giggles and ruin the shot yeah and they can't afford to do that any more times yeah <laughs> well and the scene also has like some of the best um most creative shots mm-hmm. in filming when you and i i would love if depending on how they do this if they work in some of those like the imagery somehow yeah because there's things where like you know headwigs the, the trailer park exploding into a stage with footlights yes and yeah. also like things when the song starts like you you know headwigs alone but then you see like a band member out the window playing the guitar mm-hmm. and this person over here. And mm-hmm. it's very interesting. It's very yeah. fun. Uh, something that the film does with all of its flashback scenes, as soon as the flashback scenes become songs, uh, it's very stylized. It, it becomes more dreamlike as, as the music swings into yes. gear as we're uh, catching up to the present. So I guess again, talking with spoilers of images we've seen, uh-huh. There is an image of, like, Betty, maybe Tony, Cheryl, and Veronica. Like, it looks like they're having a sleepover. Mm-hmm. Like, Grease Pink Lady style, yes. Brusha Brusha. I did think this could go there. Uh-huh. Betty is the character known for wearing a wig. Veronica's been catching up, so... <laughs> yes. And, you know, Hermosa, too. 
So so the song for them is going to be about some heists they're going on. Yeah, yeah. I'm going undercover as the the Midwest checkout queen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's so hard with some of these cuz it's like, well, they could put it into this way, but then it loses like the meaning of the song. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, who in the cast is on a quest to reinvent themselves? Is Jughead going to take his resurrection as a chance to make Jughead 2 the sequel? Soup-head! Soup-neck! <laughs> I am now the soup. <laughs> it is in a trailer park. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe he's walking through what's left over of Zolda stomping grounds. Uh, I don't know if that's likely, but I do love the idea. You know, like, yeah, it's yeah. like where have I come from and where am I going to go? And then, then, oh, oh, I want this to be Jughead's song. Please, please let this be Jughead's song. Because then the thing when they're like... You know, like, put the wig on. Mm-hmm. It's his hat. <laughs> it's yeah. his hat. It's his hat. Yeah. All right. Now we get to <sighs> this song and the next. One of them is my favorite. I'm not sure. They're they're two of the three contenders for my favorite song in the show. Uh, that is right. We're talking about Wicked Little Town, Hedwig's version, the original version. This is, in the narrative, the first song Hedwig ever wrote. Yes. We've gotten to the point where she, she has become herself and she's... Uh, reigniting her love of music and this is the first song she writes mm-hmm. and it is about how much she does not fit in junction city kansas yes i love this song mm-hmm. it is one of my favorites again i said i had many but one of my absolute favorites mm-hmm. i have a couple ideas on how they could use this this could be used as the song that brings betty and archie together yeah if it you've could got also, no other choice, you know, you can follow my voice. Yeah. It's a very romantic line. It could also be used as the song that brings them away from each other. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, their, to their actual people. Or I don't know, we could like give any other character a song, <laughs> like Sweet Pea. Let's, <laughs> it's true. Let's have Sweet Pea sing this. Mm-hmm. Why not? He's got dreams. Or fangs. I'd love he to hear nice about voice. his dreams. Yeah. Oh, what if this is Ethel's song? The world has been shitty to Ethel. But Ethel hasn't been seen in months. I think exactly. she's dead. Exactly. <laughs> and now we get to see her perspective on, on what life could be. What if it's Alice and FP? Yeah. What if they get a song? Yeah. I like that. I like this for them, actually. Uh, the next song, which uh, is shamefully absent from the film. Yes. And uh, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, the Long Grift. This is the first song that Tommy Gnosis writes. In, instead of being like, good for you, you're, you're taking your first steps toward, toward achieving your goals. No, it's this really cruel and, and cutting, uh, uh, like slap in the face essentially to Hedwig and, and you know weaponizing her past against her mm-hmm. like fuck uh, there there is this heartbreaking crescendo to their relationship when when they they split up after their musical collaboration when she writes all his songs except for this one where you know they're they're about to finally have their their partnership become a romantic partnership and they're they're finally kissing for the first time after all this build up and then 
things go awry and the the line that just cuts me to the bone the most is like if you love me so much then love the front of me mm-hmm. oh, fuck yeah yeah and this song is like him saying no yeah <laughs> yeah it's i mean j- just the, that uh the object of the song that in the musical is obviously Hedwig, but in the context of he's a pop singer singing to arenas, people don't have to know that. Uh, but the object of the song is constantly called You Gigolo. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a song that is built on misgendering. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty fucked up. Yeah. I don't think this one's going to be in the show either because it's just so mean. The only way it could is if they do go the... Betty Archie route and it becomes Veronica's. Oh fuck. That is yes, the only way yes. they oh, could write this in. Her singing about all the times she and her family's money has bailed him the fuck out. Yeah. Oh, just because of his rippling abs. Yeah. Yes. That's a gr- good idea, yeah. actually. You've got me. That's so, a good idea. Personally, I would like it to just be a song Jellybean has, not for <laughs> any reason other than I want Jellybean to have a really like vicious song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The music is so good, and the emotion of the singing is so good. Actually, on the albums that it's on, it's Stephen Trask, the composer, like, playing the role of Tommy. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. (laughs) But Um, yeah, I think that's the I think Veronica doing is the only way it could be in. Now now that all the backstory is gone in the show, we get up to the present, and Hedwig having laid out her entire history to to yet another uh, uh, disinterested crowd that wandered in not knowing what they were getting in uh, to in the fiction of the show. That's not going to be the case anymore because it's an international sensation, Mm. but in the fiction of the show. Yes. (laughs) And now she's reflecting on her life and the things she said, and things get a little less diegetic at this point with Hedwig's Lament, which is essentially an extended intro sequence to uh, Exquisite Corpse. Uh, Hedwig's Lament starts as a really low-tempo reprise of uh, uh, Tear Me Down, uh, but then goes off into its own lyrics. It's about how uh, she's just been giving away pieces of herself, having them taken from her and losing them, and now the good parts are gone uh, into this discordant held note that that segues into exquisite corpse another really aggressive angry song that i could see the archies doing this this could be the archies number another just very high tempo shouting song about being an exquisite corpse being a, a a sewed up frankenstein monster of leftover pieces which is how she is seeing herself in this moment yeah I don't know if they'll do this one. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's too too intense. Too intense, and again, too specific. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't think they'll do it. I'll be surprised if they do. But but after we've hit that that uh, uh, rock bottom, we start to get lifted back up with the Wicked Little Town reprise or Wicked Little Town Tommy Gnosis version. Mm-hmm. Again, in in the framing of the show. The theater you're at can overhear the the huge arena that that Tommy is playing in, and like sometimes you know Hedwig will kick open the door to to the alley, and you'll just hear this crowd screaming for Tommy, you know, down the road. Yeah, uh, which on tours the geography can get a little. <laughs> when we saw it, we saw Hedwig at 
What one of the downtown one loop of the downtown theaters. ones, and they said they were at Soldiers Field. Yes, which is like a good two like, and a half, three miles. No, it's like a mile and a half. Yeah, <laughs> there's no way <laughs> they're acting like it's next door. Which is the thing I love in the movie is they're like, oh, Tommy's playing Soldiers Field, and we're at the restaurant down the street in the mall. There is no mall no. anywhere. In probably, what, 15-mile radius? Oh, well, no, I can't say that. Because, like, technically, like, Water Tower is a mall, and there's, like, one place downtown. But there is no but such within, thing like, as the mall down the road from Soldier three Field. three-mile radius, which is very large for a city, <laughs> there's no mall. But and there's definitely no mall south within, like, 10 miles. Like we've been saying, the, the story of the show is that uh, you are at one of Hedwig's gigs on this stalking tour, and through the course of one show, she's going through uh, uh, this roller coaster with you and reaching this cathartic moment. Whereas in the film adaptation, you're following you're following the whole stalking tour, and yes. she goes by step by step in, in a more decompressed period of time. Yes. Uh, and something I love about that is that the, the tour manager works out this deal with a seafood theme restaurant that's about to go out of business, so they don't care what happens. Yeah. So she has an open invitation to play at this place called Bilgewaters in any Bilgewaters location in the country. Which has a lot of pictures of sinking ships. You get it? Do you get the symbolism? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, it meant they could uh, decorate one set really well and film in different parts of it for each <laughs> That's my favorite show. thing about that. Instead is... of going with the, the first draft of the script where this performance is in a truck stop, this one's in a big boy family buffet, this <laughs> performance is at a dive bar. If, if they do both Wicked Little Towns, it has to be a call and response, right? It has to be one person singing to another the first one and then getting it back later. They have to make a subplot yes. out of it, which is why I think we're likely to only get the first one. <laughs> yep. But let's brainstorm. Let's let's who who do we think would uh be responding with this second version which is about like hey, that idea you've got about predefined lovers, maybe that's bunk and maybe you you can transcend that. And also it's full of apologies and, and Tommy trying to uh, make amends, which then gives Hedwig a license to as she uh, uh, grows at the end. You got thoughts? Here's an idea. Are these the songs that will heal Betty and Alice's fraught relationship? Because I'm trying to think of pairs of people who are bound, but very antagonistic. Yeah. And that, that jumps out that, to, that to the does. front of the list. Yeah. That could work. That could work. Like, the specifics of the lyrics, maybe not, but the mood and what the songs mean and do could work. Yeah. <laughs> yes. These always start with you laughing at yourself. All yeah. of your ideas. <laughs> so this is, this is an apology song. Yes. What if it's Principal Honey? <gasps> oh my god, you're right. What if he comes around? This is, that's exactly what it's going to be. <laughs> I'm that's so exactly good at this. what it's going to be. Yeah, it's him singing to Kevin and everyone else. And now I understand how much I took from you. Yes. Show, it's Principal Honey. Show this wicked town something beautiful and new. You are 100% And then Kevin right. goes up and sings Midnight Radio. I will bet anything you are absolutely right. I am so good at this. And if 
is not what they do. They need to fucking hire me because what I think of is better. No, you're right. You're right. That is the best possible choice. Yeah. So Principal Honey sings this and then Kevin sings Midnight Radio. Yes. Midnight Radio, the big... Favorite. (laughs) Of all the ones that are my favorite. The big finale, the show-stopping number, where Hedwig, again, still at rock bottom, but having received this insight, this wisdom, this heartfelt apology, just sort of, like, summons the strength, and the song has this incredible, incredible build. It just... The song is like the THX noise at the beginning of the Star Wars movies. (laughs) It just doesn't stop growing somehow. Yeah. It's It's amazing. Yeah. But it, it is this uh, a transcendent moment of, of joy in music, joy, finding joy in oneself, and it's Kevin's song. It is it's hands Kevin. down Kevin's song. If they song. do not have Kevin sing this, they are idiots. Yes, absolutely. Just in the practical terms of give the most demanding song to your most talented singer, at the oh. very least. But, oh. but it fits the character so well. It fits the plot they've put together so well. Here's what I want, okay? Yes. So... Principal Honey apologizes. Yes. Kevin goes up as himself to start singing it. And then at the build, when normally Isak comes out, like, in drag, mm-hmm. Kevin is there in full, like, Hedwig or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that moment of, like... Or Honey. Or Honey or some- something. But yeah. it's like someone comes out, like, it's that... I'm imagining it's like, okay, we're at, like, talent show rehearsal... And then it's the stage. And it's it, the it's the show. It segues dreamlike into yes, yes, into yes. the audience and everything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this song's so good. It's so good. It's definitely Kevin's song to sing in the show. Which is why, like, there's so many other songs I think he could do and that they could utilize for him. Mm-hmm. But I kept being like, it, it can't no, be because this is going be. to be his. Yeah. In case you missed the announcement or our discussion about it on. All those weeks ago, in in the first episode we did after the announcement, the the synopsis they've released is that Kevin is, as seen in the previous episode, putting together a talent show. Because with all the recent events, uh, you know, the the full uh, uh, musical isn't going forward, but but we're having something that takes a little less overhead, a little less prior planning in its place. Yes. A, A talent show. Yes. And and he's gotten all of your favorites to sign up, and he is going to do a number from Hedwig as his talent. Yes. Principal Honey shoots him down, and Kevin and his friends organize this this protest wherein every act will be something from Hedwig. Yeah. That that is their act to to defy the authority of Principal Honey. Yeah. Which again is great because it gets everybody a chance to do some Hedwig, but no one actually portraying Hedwig. Exactly. And and all of the uh, possible, you know, problematic issues that might arise from that. And also, yes, being able to spread around this. It's not exactly a one-woman show, but it's the closest you're going to get without being one. Yeah. To a full ensemble cast. Yes. <laughs> but uh, for the third year running, this announcement has come with a cast list. Yes. Now in the form of a variety show sign-up list. Yes. And we're going to run through line by line because this is probably the best one by far. Yeah. So first off, we have Kevin Mm -hmm. as Hedwig. Yep. Okay. That's his act. There you go. Uh, We have Archie. His act was originally going to be the Archies. (laughs) It is now Hedwig. Mm -hmm. I like this because 
Uh, this means that Archie uh, signed up in that last scene in the yeah. previous episode for everyone. They just decided there at the booth yeah. and pops to be a band. Well, and it explains why we don't see Jughead on here mm-hmm. because because he's part of the he's Archies. part of the band. He's in there. Um, when we this- will see Veronica and Betty later towards the end, but you can tell that like they wrote in again later that they're going to do a separate act. Which is why they're at the end. Yeah. Because they came up with the idea later. Yeah. Ah. yeah. Also, I didn't miss Jughead initially. I-, I didn't think it was unusual he wasn't here because when this came out, we were expecting Jughead to still be dead. Yes. And if not dead, still going to another school. <laughs> yeah. And also like... Are they really going to get Cole Sprouse to, like, sing again? He loves this musical. He's a big fan of it, personally. So, he better get his own fucking song. Uh, Come on! Bring it out, boy. So next we have Cheryl and Tony together with a dance routine. Yes. uh, Taking up two lines. Um, And as you'll see, everyone ends up Hedwig crossing their thing out. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to say that again and again, but... Uh, then we find out that Chuck Clayton still goes to this school. And he is proud of his ability in speed painting. Yes. I love it. What do you think he would paint? Um, well, I think the thing to know is that the speed is actually the drug. <laughs> He's going to do paintings. While well. on speed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so, so it's actually going to be like really slow. It's kind of abstract, <laughs> yes. I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Fangs is going to do knife juggling. Or he would have in a better world without censorship. And Sweet Pea was going to do fire eating. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, those dumbass boys would do those two things. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining, like, remember that scene... Were they shooting guns or air? No, they, they were, were trying shooting... to use the bow and arrow. Yes, straight up in the air and then trying to catch it. Yeah, and I'm just imagining them practicing these skills together mm-hmm. like that. Principal Honey saved lives when he made Kevin make everyone else change their talent. <laughs> but a detail I love on Fangs and Sweet Pea is that they share pens. Yes. Fangs wrote his original in blue, Sweet Pea in black, but then when they crossed them out, Fangs was in black, Sweet Pea in blue, but the, the handwriting didn't change. In the days in between, they traded pens. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's really good. Next is Miss Burble, the only faculty member on the list who will be performing, who, who will be singing 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton. Or perhaps reciting monologues from 9 to 5, the film starring Dolly Parton. I'm not sure. She's the only one that's not joining the Hedwig (laughs) band train. Yeah, well, because Principal Honey can fire her. It's true. Yeah. Uh, Reggie is going to be uh, giving us some Beethoven. It's violin sonata number (laughs) 9. You know his mom made him. Yep. You know his mom made him do it. She's like, this is going on a college application. (laughs) Uh, Valerie and Melody still go to this school, and they're going to do some ABBA. Yes. They need men. They need men for ABBA. Half of ABBA's men. They don't need no men. They can do what they want to do. They didn't exactly have a base in in the vocal range of ABBA, so I guess you're right. Look at Mamma Mia. Men were only there half the time. And you wish they weren't. Sorry, Pierce. Sorry. I don't know. There were some funny moments when, like, the three of those old dudes were trying to do stuff. 
Uh, Ethel is going to do some Madam Butterfly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Veronica signs up for... Hula Hoop Extravaganza. Oh! No mere hula hooping and extravaganza. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Betty signs up as an escape artist. <laughs> She's gonna <laughs> escape with her hairpins. She has a lot of practical real world experience. Yeah. And Peaches and Cream is gonna do a hip hop DJ set. So she also I, still exists. I'm gonna assume that it was going to be her, her she was gonna be DJing, mm-hmm. and uh, Jellybean was gonna be breakdancing. I would like to see that. I would like to see that. Yes. I, I could also understand if Kevin was going to be emceeing and saving himself for the closer, but like doing a, a doing a banter thing with Peaches and Cream, who's like doing a, a, the, the incidental music between sets, mm. a time set aside just for her, but also the two of them together keeping the show flow running. Yeah. 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 I would like to see the uh, uh, original version of this. I want to see the parallel world episode where it all goes off. Everyone doing their intended. I want to hope there's like little snippets of them rehearsing Mm -hmm. like on their own. (laughs) Knives, 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 knives. Right? I want to see Sweet Pea and Fangs almost kill themselves. So uh, Fangs, how many knives have you juggled before? I'm up to one, (laughs) but I own eight. So I've got hope. Sleepy, how much fire have you eaten? <laughs> oh, that much? Okay. No, it was just once. <laughs> yep. Uh, I mean, it's a shame the these uh, uh, have been shown to be so inaccurate in past years. Yeah. If only because Miss Burble showing up would just be a, a lovely treat. Yeah. And also just like... Every single number from Hedwig, and then 9 to 5, and then Hedwig again, would be very, like, John Mulaney, what's new pussycat of the show to do. It would be, it'd be a treat. Well, I mean, the Miss Burble thing isn't that weird, because we gotta have, like, a strange adult in the high school show at all points in time. Alice was enough adult for two years. Yeah. Anyway, that's everything you need to know about Hedwig and the Angry Inch and more uh, in advance of the upcoming Riverdale episode of using its songs uh, in whatever way they shall. Yep. Along with some of our thoughts on how they could and uh, uh, breaking down this uh, initial announcement uh, promotional image. Let's be honest. Many ways of how they actually should, not could, <laughs> should. And again, you'll be hearing us talk about uh, uh, what actually happened with our first regular episode recap when the show returns on April 8th. Yep. Um. So continue to practice your social distancing. Yes. (laughs) So you can be there with us. That sounds really morbid, but... Something that's not related to anything we've been talking about so far, though, that I keep thinking about is that we are now living in the time of how to get away with murder. We are living in the time of the locked room. The, those episodes. Those two recent episodes. Yes. We, we had, you know, the date of uh, um, Jughead's attack very explicitly stated over and over again. Yes. And also so many times you said, you know, X days from there, the day after, the day after. We're living parallel to those events, which is strange to think about. A little bit. <laughs> the show that's always been slightly ahead of us or slightly behind us is now right now. It's right now. It's right now Spaceball style. <laughs> it's very strange. <laughs> but yes, th- thank you for listening to us talk about a thing we love 
and how it relates to a thing we love and how scared we are they they won't work together or that one is going to to tarnish the other yeah and how hopeful we are that they'll fucking reese's cup it to great taste it tastes great together and, and really surprise us and impress us keep hope alive be a reese's cup be a reese's cup specifically a reese's egg it's that time of year too it Gosh. has the best ratio <laughs> it's true it's true and they're best if you chill them so am i uh but i think that's all we have to talk about today uh if you'd like to keep in touch with us as we, we go through this uh interesting uh, time in, in both life and Riverdale. You can follow us on Twitter at sex underscore Archie. You can also leave us a rating and review. Help the algorithm. Mm -hmm. Help other random people who are stuck at home find us. You've got time on your hands and, and help us get in the ear holes of other people in the same boat. Mm -hmm. A great way you can do that is to just straight up tell them. Yep. Just because you're social distancing doesn't mean you're antisocial. We live in a connected world. You know what's a cool thing to do? video chat with your friend and listen to our podcast at the same time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you could do that a great thing you can do is take your own dog and puppet them to do what you think moki is doing in the background <laughs> as we get continually distracted and lose our train of thought it's usually a lot of chucking things <laughs> and having giant dust bunnies on our face so with that i'm lena i'm grant and from us here at sex archie Little Bishop in a turtleneck. Sugar. Ah, oh, honey, honey. You are my candy girl. And you got me rocking you. Break it down, won't you please? Sugar. Ah, oh, honey, honey. You are my candy girl. And you got me rocking you. Break it down, come on. And you got me. And you got me. And you got me. Break it down, won't you please?